Good morning, Missy O'Day. Good morning. My name is Howie. I gotta get set up here, so your patience is appreciated. Um, I'm sad about Nate as well. Um, their family came, I think, the Sunday after our family came here. So we've known them a long time as well, and um, really, really appreciate them. Um, appreciate the work as an elder and what that takes, the heart that it takes. Uh, a little bit of me. You may have seen me around here. Um, I come up and do benediction on occasion. Um, I pray over here on occasion. My family usually sits in that general vicinity at 11 a.m. on a Sunday. Um, but I've <clears throat> been here since the beginning. Um, I moved out with my family and a bunch of others from Portland to kind of start and be a part of this. We're kind of OG with a couple other people, my peoples, thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been here a long time, and um, we've seen a lot of things change from being in this building where when we started, I don't think we met anywhere yet besides a living room or a bakery. And so, um, yeah, there's been a lot of changes and a lot of things, but what I, what I want to tell you is that over nine years ago, I sat in a living room with a bunch of other people, and we prayed for you, not knowing who you were, before we ever came out here. And there's been a lot invested in that, and a lot of energy, and emotion, and um, time, and just all this stuff, and heart. And so, I know you may not know me, and you may not have familiarity with me, and it takes some credibility, I guess, to come up on this stage and... Um, try to teach from God's word to tell you about what I believe he wants you to hear. And so what I'm asking is for some trust um, because I've been in this with you for a long time. So um, I guess asking that, please, um, today we are here and we're here. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. Today is Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. Um, and uh, it is a celebration of, of the Holy Spirit being sent to God's people, and uh, is considered the beginning of the church. And so we're, we're going to dive in and uh, talk about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is um, neglected, honestly, in the church and talking about, uh, about who he is. And so I really want to spend some time in that today, and I believe that, uh, that, uh, that he's going to move, honestly. Um, so what I want to give you is a little bit to start up. I do need to, to uh, give you a little notice. I'm not so much a preacher. Um, I like teaching things. So you're going to get a little bit of vocabulary. You're going to get a map. You're going to get all that stuff. So you can stay engaged. I may even ask for questions to the audience. You can answer back. It's all okay with me. I like to interact. Um, I'm glad I can see your faces. I don't like talking to a spotlight. That's annoying. Um, so I'm really, I just, I'm glad to be here with you. And uh, Let's get rolling. So let's talk a little bit about what the Holy Spirit is. There's two words for spirit in Scripture, and they're ruach, which you can say that's really fun. Try to say it, ruach. You got to get the throat in. If you don't get the throat in, you're not doing it right. If you have a cold, be gentle, the way you speak that. So um, ruach and pneuma. So ruach is a Hebrew word for spirit. Pneuma is the Greek word. Both of them have the same meaning. So spirit is one of the meanings. But spirit, it's hard to put anything tangible on that, right? I mean, I don't know what that is. Is it ghostly? Um, but it's also used to describe some other things like wind 
and breath. And together, those, those ideas give life and power. When you think about the wind, it's something that you can't see, but you experience and you see the effects of it. And breath, you know that it just needs to go. You need that breath. That one deep breath just to slow down your heartbeat, right? That breath to give you life, to keep you moving. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about is this moving, life-giving power of God, right? And when we get into this scripture, so we're going to be in Acts 2 today, I want you to think about that when it's talking about the Spirit and when, when we're looking at um, what the Spirit is doing in this. It is the moving, life-giving power of God. So that, this is not the, in Acts, we're going to be in Acts 2, and it's the introduction of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers and the life of the church, but it is not at all the first time there's mention of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Does anybody know the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Scripture? Genesis, second verse. The begin, you can just say the beginning, it's pretty easy. The Spirit's there from the beginning. The Spirit is there in Genesis oh, 1, verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit was involved in taking uh, chaos and bringing order, into creating and renewing and bringing life up. That is part of the Spirit's role. I'm going to give you just kind of the brief, so a brief history, because if we did the whole thing, we'd be here. Well, we'd keep, I'd run out of voice. Um, so I, but I want to give you some highlights of what the Spirit is about. So in Isaiah 11, what we learn about the Spirit is that it's going to be given on God's special anointed Messiah. And we read in 11, uh, one, uh, Isaiah 11:1, 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's a really uh, vibrant way of saying uh, Jesse is David's dad, and then King David was going to have somebody that comes through his kingly line to be the chosen anointed one of God. And that would be Jesus, and we celebrated him last week as king. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the spirit's not only involved in creation and life-giving, but he has a special role with the Messiah and the chosen one of God. And one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel 37 this passage where Ezekiel is getting a vision. He's getting a vision of this field of dry bones, or a valley of dry bones, just bones everywhere. And God tells him, this is what you need to say about these dry bones. He says, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you in the land of Israel. You shall know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord. I've spoken, and I'll do it, declares the Lord. So not only do we have Jesus, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit in creation, the Holy Spirit um, embodying the Messiah, but there's this promise, this future of an of a, of a individual sort of uh, spirit-filledness that brings life that gives newness and raises things to new life. And then in Joel, we're given a promise about how the Spirit's going to come upon us. We have Joel. Well, I don't have it written down, so I'm going to have to look it up.
Joel is small in my small Bible. Joel. Yeah, sorry about that. All right, so, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. And what Joel is talking about is something that's coming. He's talking about this thing in the future. God's spirit's going to come and do something incredible. And today, that's what we're going to talk about, that moment, that moment when the spirit Spirit comes to all who believe. I want to tell you right up front what my thesis is today. Here's my thesis to what we're talking about. If you've written any kind of term paper, right? Sorry, some of you are done with school and your brain went, thesis. Um, my main point, as Jesus followers, we should be experiencing the amazing, astonishing, awe-inspiring work of the Holy Spirit in our church and our lives to declare who Jesus is. That's really what life should be about for us. So today I want to show you why that's what our call is too. But let me pray before we dive into the text, okay? Uh, Jesus, I pray that your spirit would be here among us this morning. Uh, We know you are with us, you promised to be with us, but today what I pray is that you would open our imaginations, that you would open us up to something new and beautiful that you want to do in us, that you would bring life, that you would uh, renew that you would bring, um, just create something in us. We pray that today in your name, amen. Right, so as I said, we're in Acts 2. So if you want to grab a Bible and look at Acts 2, I'll also have it up here on the screen. But uh, we're going to talk through, um, we're going to skip a big chunk in the middle, uh, but we'll talk about the beginning and the end. All right, so Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we need some context for this, because at first it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You get questions right off the bat. Well, what's Pentecost? Pentecost, if you've been in a Christian church for a while, you have this association with Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, but it was called Pentecost long before this event happened. In fact, we learn about it way back in Leviticus. There's a festival, a Jewish festival that happens during this week. It's called the Festival of Weeks, and it's a festival that's uh, seven weeks after Passover. So Penta is actually 50. It's the 50th day after Passover. So it's kind of cool. I like numbers with Um, numbers in scripture are awesome, and so uh, the Feast of Weeks is seven weeks of seven, right? You got 49, and so it's this kind of culmination. It's a a harvest festival of of first fruits. It's like the first harvest you'd celebrate by coming and giving, and it's also a pilgrimage feast, and so you have Jews from all over the place that would come into Jerusalem to celebrate this and bring the first fruits of their harvest. So, I mean, from all over, and we'll see that later in this passage, uh, how they would travel in and come and be part of this feast. And so uh, what we get is just a a big crowd of people. There's a lot of people in this place. And uh, 
Second question I have when I read that passage is you get they, and I give my family a hard time because they like to use pronouns without an antecedent, and so, um, and I make fun of them all the time. I'm like, I don't know who he is. You got to give me a name, Um, and so we need to know who they are, right? Um, It's too hard to know who they are unless you find it out uh, beforehand. So if you look back in in, um, Acts, in Acts 1.15, we find out there's about 120 people gathered together. You know, that's somewhat maybe around this size. There might be a few more than 120 in here. So it's it's this group of people. This is what is left of the Jesus movement, right? You've got Jesus. He um, died on the cross, resurrected from the dead. He hung out with his followers for 40 days, sent it into heaven. Now there's 120 together. They don't know what to do much. They uh, kind of fill their time by picking a 12th apostle because the other 12th one turned out to not be such a great guy that turned Jesus in for some silver. So they replace him, and they're waiting because Jesus has promised that the Spirit's going to come. They're just waiting. And so we find that something powerful is about to happen. So what happens is in Acts 2, 2 and 3, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This is some language we don't necessarily know how to grasp, right? Like, what I love about this is we get, we get like in here, which is a simile, right? It's, it's those moments where you don't know exactly how to describe something. So you're like, well, it's kind of like this. Um, it's the best I can do to describe it. And this, we do this a lot with food, right? If you taste something new, you don't really have exactly the words, but it's kind of like chicken, right? Or um, you don't know what to do, so you, get, you grab something that's the closest that you can somehow uh, put words on, and that's how you describe it, and that's what we have here. It's a sound like a muddy rushing wind. So it's like being in a gale force. There's, there's sound and volume, and it's crazy. And there were tongues as of fire that came and appeared before, on, on them. So you're, you're trying to grasp your head around what this picture is. It's mysterious. It's supposed to be mysterious. We don't have the right words. It's just kind of, it's like this. Because these things, wind, which we already talked about, is the same word for spirit. There's a force and, and a volume to what's happening in here. And fire, God, is, God had used fire in many different ways throughout Scripture. In, a, in Exodus, he appeared before Moses in a burning bush that wasn't consumed. The kids are talking about that today. You know, he also uses fire or a hot coal to cleanse and purify Isaiah's lips so that he can go speak. There's this idea of God's presence, but a purifying words are coming. Something important is about to happen. He gives the attributes of something natural, like wind and fire, but the way that it manifests itself is incredibly and undoubtedly supernatural. There's something different happening. I tried to find some paintings that would try to portray this. And, and they're so all over the charts. 
from artists trying to depict what happened here. If you have a chance, just do Pentecost art and try to see like just how, how it's tried to be depicted throughout uh, the centuries. The end result in this moment is there's about 120 people and suddenly they can speak in different languages. They didn't know two minutes before that. The question we have is why? Well, there's an attribute of the Holy Spirit that I conveniently left out earlier because it's punchier at this moment. <laughs> and that's this. What is the Holy Spirit's job? Does anybody know? What is the Holy Spirit's job? Anything? What? Advocate, okay. What does the Holy Spirit do? What? To be a guide. Yes? What? I'm going to show you here in John. We get a straight-up description. In John, these are Jesus' words. He says, When the Helper comes, from whom, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And later in John 16, we get, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The job of the Holy Spirit, everything that he does that we talked about earlier, is to declare the reality of King Jesus. That's it. That's his whole job. So if you want, ever wonder... Um, if you look into uh, how the Bible came to be, what we've been given is that the, every word of God is God-breathed, right? God-spirited, the Holy Spirit. So when we don't hear a lot about who the Holy Spirit is in Scripture, we get glimpses because the Holy Spirit's job is to declare who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus in everything he does. He's a powerful mover whose purpose is to reveal the kingship of Jesus as he rules over all creation. So when we know that about the Spirit, and we find that the Spirit is doing something powerful in the midst of these folks, then the crazy stuff gets bigger. In Acts 2, 5 through 13, here we keep going in this, in this story. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. So we talked a little bit earlier about how this Feast of Weeks, the celebration that's happening in Jerusalem, it's a, it's a pilgrimage feast. So we, we don't have a lot of pilgrimage kind of things in our in our culture, maybe the closest we might have experience with is like general conference, right? So you get all these people that come in. You don't want to go downtown during general conference, right? Because it's packed. There's nowhere to go. You can't even drive. Um, 
And this is what Jerusalem's like at this time. People have come from all over the place, and the city's packed, and there's a lot going on. And what I find interesting in this is that we get in verse 5 that there's devout men from every nation under heaven, which would be a great enough description, but then they go on and describe every single nation. And I love this because so many times when we are in Scripture, we look at it, we gloss over these words, right? These cities or areas or big words or somebody's name that we can't pronounce, right? It's like, that's the P place, that's the M one. All right, moving along. And, um, and what we get in here is something awesome, and I just want to show you because I find these things super cool. Um, can I have my map? Um, so we get all these names, these place names of where they are. And so where we're talking is this little blue kind of area down on the Mediterranean, east side of the Mediterranean Sea. That's where we're at when this is happening, okay? And the places that are named is, so we have Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia. That's all to the north uh, and northeast of where we're at. And then they go on with Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. That's all uh, Turkey to the north. And then they say Egypt and Libya. Well, that's to the south. And then Rome, which is kind of the blanket. We've got everybody now. Everybody falls in the Roman Empire. And then just in case we forgot anybody, Arabians and Cretans. So we've got Arabia down below, and Crete covers everybody in sea peoples. So not only, they're very serious that it's not only people from every nation and all these languages, but they're focused, like the dialects, uh, region-specific language. This is, God is doing something huge in this moment that 120 people could speak all these different languages that every person that heard it would understand in their own native language. And they're probably multilingual. If you lived in the Roman Empire, you usually had to speak Greek just to get by. And then they would have some sort of understanding of Hebrew if they're Jews, because they need that for their religious celebrations and all that. So we're talking multilinguals, and yet God wants to speak to their heart through their native language they will understand deeply and most intimately. It doesn't take long. If you look back in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus makes a kind of a commission to, the, to his followers, and he says, um, you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's where my good news is going to go. And the whole story of Acts is actually doing that. It slowly expands out into the, all these regions, but right at the beginning... The ends of the earth come to them. And God does something miraculous amongst them. And all these people, so we have all these people from all these places, and they hear this sound, and they go there. It is, um, it's a commotion. It's got to be pandemonium in some ways. There is volume and noise and people talking, but everybody's understanding what's going on. And I love the words that are used to describe the hearers of what's happening. I don't know if you caught this, but in verse 6, we get the word bewildered. And then in verse 7 and verse 12, we get these words, amazed, astonished, amazed again, and perplexed. There is something that you, do, that you don't even know what to do with it. I had a brief moment like this on Thursday morning. I don't know if any of y'all were up early Thursday morning, but the sky was golden. 
at 6 o'clock in the morning. Like, and I don't mean yellow. I mean it was golden and shimmering, and it was weird. I'd never seen anything like that. And coming from the west was this giant purple thundercloud. The sun hadn't come up yet over the Wasatch, um, but it was glowing, and there was this giant purple thunderstorm coming. And I'm driving in my car, and I'm, I'm heading west, and there's a double rainbow. It didn't go all the way across the sky. It was only halfway. Um, but there was a double rainbow. It was vibrant. It was in the middle of this purple thunderstorm. The sky above me was clear and blue. Well, it wasn't blue. It was golden, but it was clear. And it was, um, there was just so much light, and yet there was still these vibrant rainbows and from my understanding, I always thought rain had to be behind you in order for you to see a rainbow. So I was very confused. And then um, I'm looking at this while I'm driving west, and a lightning bolt goes off in between the two rainbows. And I exclaimed to myself in my car by myself, and I was astonished and amazed and perplexed and bewildered. And I had those words because I've been studying this. So. Um, but the difference from what I saw and what these people experienced is that I saw a natural phenomenon. And what they're experiencing is something supernatural. It's a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So they did the same thing that I did, like trying to understand where the rain was coming from and why I could see rainbows. They try to figure it out. So they go, wait, first off, these guys are Galileans which Galileans are rural people. They were undereducated. They tend to be laborers, like uh, fishermen, farmers. There's another group that came up with an explanation, and they basically said, you guys, go home, you're drunk. They're trying to put some kind of logical thing on what is, is happening around them, on this thing that God is trying to do in and amongst them, they're trying to rationalize it and figure it out and explain it to themselves. You guys, this is who we are. We're those guys. From my experience, and um, I know I am this, and I'm trying not to be this, where I'm trying to explain away the crazy things that the Holy Spirit's doing and wants to do in me, around me, through me, in us, around us, and through us. You may have felt it. There may have been a moment where you knew you were supposed to say something to someone, you could feel it like you knew I got to voice these words and you swallowed the words because for whatever reason. And then you explained it away. You didn't want to sound weird or religious, or, but you felt this prompting, I should say something in this moment. But you swallowed it. There might have been a time where a super weird coincidence happened for you. Maybe you really needed something in a moment and someone gave it to you. It might have been. It might have been the right words. It might have been a hug. It might have been um, a check for just the right amount. But you explained it away or you just said, that's really nice. You don't recognize it as God's goodness to you, as the Holy Spirit doing something for you and in you in that moment. Maybe you've heard a story of somebody getting healed, but in, in your head, you think that's a really great thing, but, but maybe they weren't really sick. Maybe there's some other kind of explanation to this. Maybe it was just in their head. 
We try to rationalize away the mighty works of what God is doing. Maybe a job offer came through or didn't come through or you didn't get accepted into that college or you did or whatever. All these things, they're spirit things. There was a, there was a summer where I was perfect for a, for a position and my wife was perfect for a position and neither of us got it. This is before she was my wife. Neither of us got it. That was the summer we got to really know each other. I was devastated that I didn't get into that. It didn't make any logical sense to me whatsoever. It was a spirit thing for us. Sometimes there's just small things. You might feel an urge when we're here gathering together and there's a song or something playing and you're like, man, I kind of want to raise my hands or I kind of want to get on my knees or I kind of want to sing out really loud and you hold back because you don't want to look weird or feel dumb or stand out. And if it's a spirit thing, don't hold it back. Just let it go. We've got we've to get into this. We have, we have people that pray every Sunday morning over here. And not many of us really take advantage of it. Because, and I don't know why, I can speak for me. A lot of times just embarrassment or not wanting to stand out or not look needy or not all these things. And we get really hung up on all this stuff. You guys, we, we shrink our God into a concept that fits into our logical brains and we've taken the miracles and the magic out of the moving, powerful, dynamic Holy Spirit. That's wrong. It's a mistake. We're missing out. We're the muggles of the story. We've missed out on the magic. We don't see what's going on. Magic's happening around us and in us, just waiting to burst out and we're holding back. We don't want to recognize it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to embrace it. We don't celebrate it. The stories where you hear the most of what God is doing tends to be in third world countries where the gospel's spreading like wildfire. If you read stories in China, you hear miraculous things just happening and breaking out. I'm going to tell you what I do, with the, what I've done with those stories and I'm ashamed of, but I've repented of. I explain them away and I, I go elitist on it. Well, they need that because... They don't understand things the same way, so they need a sign. And that's wrong. You guys, where we live, I don't know if you realize this, this is a mission field where God wants to tell the story of Jesus, where the Holy Spirit wants to make him known because it's the very essence of who he is. And unless we embrace that, the Holy Spirit wants to do that. We, we, have, we just need it. I guess that's all I can say. There's no other way for it to happen. Right here, a mighty work is required for the people of this valley to hear about Jesus. There's not a lot of Jesus followers around here. And there's, what, a million and a half folks in this valley? There's no way we could do it. There's no way we can tell them all. We need a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit proclaiming who Jesus is in this valley right now. There's no other way for it to be done. Like the people in Acts, we have language hurdles to get over, not, not so much as like English, but we have cultural language. We need a translator because we have religious people and anti-religious people, and we need help with the language to communicate who God is. We need a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit within each one of us, within our church, within the churches in this valley. But we, we hold back 
because we just think it's impossible. The beautiful thing is that God is a God of the impossible. Amen? God is a God of the impossible. He works in the impossible. Look, I know I've been super afraid to look stupid in front of other people. I'm not going to minimize this. It's a legitimate feeling to look weird, to talk about who this Jesus person, to talk about the Holy Spirit, to talk about God doing mighty works. And I don't know, I don't know if it's the presence of the Holy Spirit, like we need some big thing that causes us to proclaim Jesus like it happened here in Acts 2. But I don't think Acts 2 is prescriptive where the Holy Spirit needs to show up and do some big, huge thing for us to go out and talk about Jesus. I also have experienced and seen in Scripture that when people show up and boldly proclaim Jesus, the Spirit shows up too. So maybe what we need to do, instead of having mild proclamations of Jesus and maintain a mild expression of the Holy Spirit, Maybe we just need to be bold in our proclamations of who Jesus is and wait for the Spirit to show up in that. If we boldly follow Jesus, will the Spirit boldly show up? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves, and I believe the answer is yes. This whole next section of Acts 2, we have Peter Peter, ashamed Peter, denying Peter, embarrassed Peter. He boldly proclaims Jesus to this group of people that come to check out what that noise is. He tells the story of Jesus. He's actually pretty forceful about it. It's not really kind what he says. Basically, you murdered him. You know what happens? 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus that day. There was 120 people that morning waiting for something to happen. The Spirit shows up. By the end of the day, there's 3,000 plus. We'll just say that. 3,000 plus. Guys, this is what happens when the church is being the church. When we anticipate the Holy Spirit to do something, when we boldly proclaim, people respond. When was the last time you were amazed or perplexed or astonished, not by something natural, but by the Holy Spirit doing a supernatural thing? Can you think of one? Uh, I had the privilege of um, praying with someone last week for healing in their life. And uh, there was a, a moment in that time where I really felt God nudging me to say something. And to me, it sounded really weird. It didn't sound like words that I would say, but I, I knew, like, I knew I just had to say it, and so I, I did. I just was faithful to it. I don't, and I can't say I know what happened, and I can't say I know that she was healed in that moment or will be or anything, but I do know that I was faithful and that even if that does not heal her, it's changed me. Just in being faithful in that moment. Afraid of looking stupid because it's not the words I want to say, but I just did it. And I, and I think it was truth, and I pray that it was helpful, and I pray that she will be healed. 
there are those of us in this community, we don't really give the Spirit much credit. We think everything has a natural explanation, that belief in something spiritually powerful displays a weak mind, that a need for something outside of ourselves shows some kind of inability to make it on our own, that astonishment, perplexity, and bewilderment don't have a place here. Why do we have to explain it away? I had a story that happened to me when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I lived with um, an older cousin of mine and her husband and their two daughters, and I was flying a kite in the backyard with these girls. They were, um, they were two and four when I moved in. I imagine they were probably like three and five or so. We were flying a kite in the backyard, and I gave the kite string to one of them um, to hold. Well, kids that age never seem to hold on to a kite, right? And so the kite takes off. She let go of it, took off, and went up, and the string got wrapped into this tree, and the tree was too dense. There was no way I was going to climb up to get it, and this kite's just flying up in the top of the tree. They're really sad because now their kite's gone. And something hit me in, that, in there in that moment, um, and I just went, and I remember saying it out loud, God, you could bring this kite down if you wanted to. And that kite flew right down to me. It's weird. And it, it was for my benefit in that moment. I, rem- I remembered that. That was way too long ago. Um, but uh, it was a lo- 25 plus years ago. And it shaped me in realizing that God can do it. Something as trivial as a kite. You know, I've been part of this community for almost nine years. We can be a cynical bunch. You know, we, we tend to um, commune in our brokenness. When you read in uh, Acts 2, at the end of the chapter, we learn something about these folks um, in 2, 42 through 47. A lot of times this is sort of like the picture of what the perfect church would be try to go back to these ideas, right? Go, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. What I've realized in our community a lot, and I've been partly responsible for this, is that we commune together really well. We like to commune in our brokenness. We like to share in our weaknesses and we like, to, um, we like to kind of sit there. Um, I've, been, I've been in that. I've been part of that, not only a participant, but a, but a leader, I guess, even. And you know what? Being broken, there's, I know you in here. I've been with enough of you at different times. We are broken people. It is normal to be broken, but it is not natural to be broken. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to stay broken. 
We are supposed to be supernaturally renewed by the Holy Spirit. We were made to be whole. We can't sit there. We can't stay there. There are those of us also in this community that believe that the Holy Spirit does great, amazing, powerful things. He heals. He restores. He repels dark forces. He changes the hearts of people who are selfish. He breaks bonds of sin. He changes our perspectives on what it means to truly live. A check arrives for just the right amount of money. A prophetic word is spoken over you that that person shouldn't know anything about, and it shows grace. These are things that have happened here. We've witnessed it. We've seen people be healed. We've seen people get joy from darkness. And we want to celebrate it. We expect it to happen again. We've seen it happen in change groups, in prayer times, in house churches, in one-on-ones, in counseling appointments. We've seen people be generous, giving their time, giving their money, something that comes from the Holy Spirit moving. As Jesus followers, we should be experiencing the astonishing, amazing, awe-inspiring work of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our community proclaim Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to renew our brokenness, to heal our bodies, to heal our minds. We need, we need the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things. We need him in this city. We need Jesus to be known. It is the only way. If we don't ask big of God, we're going to miss out on the big things God wants to do. So as I wrap up, I have some thoughts that maybe will click home with you, Um, some action steps to do, things that I've had to do even this week as I've been in this. First, if you've never committed to following Jesus, don't miss out. Today is your day. Jump in and go for it. God wants to do a miracle in your life. For those of you that are Jesus followers, If you're guilty of this as I am, repent for minimizing the Spirit, for explaining Him away and being embarrassed by Him. Not just you're sorry, repent. I did this, it was wrong, I will do it differently with your power. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to bring about amazement and wonder and awe in the work that the Spirit's doing around you. Don't write it off. See it, embrace it, celebrate it, and ask God to do something big. Tell someone else that you're doing that. Make a risk. Look, every Sunday we come to this this table, and this table declares the gospel of Jesus. That's why we do it every week. We have bread that proclaims a broken body, Juice that shows the blood shed for us. As you come to this table, ask the Spirit to be there with you. As there's fire flickering there, be reminded that the Spirit wants to be present with you. As you taste, as you hear the music, open your senses up to what God is trying to teach you, show you, ask of you. There'll be people praying over here. If you need prayer, if you need it for healing, if you need it for deliverance, come over. 
Don't be embarrassed. If you feel like raising your hands or going on your knees or singing really loud or dancing like my daughter does, don't hold back. That's a spirit moving in you. Embrace it. We need it. We need a couple of you to be bold and weird so that we can be bold and weird too. Okay? Let's not be melancholy and sad in our brokenness. Let's be joyous and celebratory in who the Spirit is. Amen? Amen. Thanks, you guys. Let me pray as the band comes up. Jesus, we ask for your Spirit to be here. We ask for you to work greatly in us. And we need a change of... um, I need a change just of my own inner culture. Would you uh, work in us to be a church that looks for your spirit, embraces you, and follows you wholeheartedly? In your name we pray, amen.